1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, managing editor of the NBA page with you as always. And hey, really great one today. Mark Medina from NBA.com, also a former Warriors beat writer, is in. We're going to break down the NBA finals, talk about. Uh, so a really great storylines, really interesting matchups and what this could mean for both teams. And uh, I don't even know why we're holding off, but Mark, how's it going, my man?
2: I am good. I hope, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to talk hoops with you as always and hope uh, this doesn't create the firestorm that uh, Draymond and KD are having (laughs) over social media. That was interesting.
1: That was a, uh, that whole thing was interesting. How, how Draymond really, you know, from the time he said, what, we don't need you back, you know, back (laughs) when KD was still on the team, there's, I think he resents how much credit KD got, even though he was also the guy who called him and said, man, we could use you. So it's it's a weird dynamic.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think that with everything, obviously these days, it got overblown. I mean, I think that that incident simply had to do with just kind of lingering frustrations of just his pending free agency sucking the oxygen out of the room. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, when... It had a heat of a competitive basketball moment, those things spilled out. But I think fast forwarding now, you know, I listened to Draymond's interview with Colin Calherd and it didn't sound like there was any ill will feelings at all. I mean Colin even asked him, you know, if if he sees this connection with you know, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie, their former teams both being in the finals. And they aren't. And, you know, he didn't like throw haymakers at him. He was saying, like, uh, I understand and respect whatever decision he made. And, you know, I don't question him leaving, even though I thought that we could win more titles together. He said that he was only surprised and thought it was the wrong decision simply because here at the Warriors, he could only worry about his true love with basketball. But as far as him teaming up with Kyrie and all that, like he didn't feed into this whole Kevin made a mistake on that front. So I was then surprised, you know, how the uh, how everything then got interpreted on social media, which usually isn't always the best interpretation. But here we are uh, a lot of fun NBA drama to bring this whole circle.
1: Are you suggesting that the uh, sometimes in NBA social media and NBA Twitter can? over dramatize and uh, make mountains out of molehills
2: yes yes that uh, i think you've reached the right conclusion i will stress that pro basketball talks never sensationalize it so i want to be clear in
1: distinguishing oh.
2: that sportscom <laughs> we don't do that stuff we're above the fray
1: uh, we try to be, it's, it's a weird, it's a, I'll be honest, it's kind of sometimes a weird mix of, and I've, I, I don't think we've written yet on Draymond and KD, um, today, but it's one of those things where like, yeah, I could write something that would get a ton of traffic, but I think it's mostly, yeah. Like, I don't really think that there's any, I think these are two guys who like to have a little fun in social media and they're happy yeah. to poke at each other and they're, they're, and you know what? Next time they see each other, they'll give each other a hug and buy you a beer and it, it won't be anything. So,
2: Yeah. And look, I mean, it, it's a natural storyline. Obviously the Warriors are back in the finals about Kevin Durant and the Nets are going it to make it out of the first round. But, you know, I would be very surprised, you know, throughout this series and if the Warriors win it, if there's a sense that, oh, we wanted to prove we could win without him. I mean, they already won before Kevin Durant's arrival, so I think that the, the, the main satisfaction won't be so much if they do win it that they won without pity or prove they can win without him. It was more of they proved that they could get back yeah. to the mix despite all the circumstances, not just with Kevin Durant's departure, which you know the Warriors kind of anticipated for a full season that might happen, but more of everything else, of Klay Thompson's injury and Steph Curry's injury four games into the 2019-20 season and developing some of the young players and meshing them with the championship roster. Those elements, I think the Warriors will get more gratification for it. And Kevin Durant said, I don't, you know, I, I haven't spoken to him about this, but just knowing how he was with the Warriors and how he, what makes them tick. I don't think he has regrets or second thoughts of, oh, I made the wrong decision going to Brooklyn. I think that, you know, a lot of it had to do with just him wanting to, Find this new challenge and carve this new path and also prove that, hey, he can win a championship elsewhere. Not like with wanting to be the guy, so to speak, but showing that it's not just part of, you know, the fact that he joined a dynasty organization.
1: Right. So but
2: it's inevitable. We're talking about it. Other people will be talking about that. It will be part of the storyline in the finals.
1: Well, I think you touched on one of the really interesting storylines, which is is the way in which the Warriors returned. They they did not, they did not go star hunting, right? They didn't dump um, the draft pick or Kuminga and and Wiseman, and you know whatever else they had to do, a future first rounder to go chase star number three, you know, or or another big name like the Lakers, like like uh, other you know I suppose the well, as Philadelphia is kind of a weird, odd situation with Ben Simmons, but like they didn't go chasing more big names and big stars. They said, you know, we're going to try to bridge to the future. We're going to keep these picks. We're going to develop them. And we think we can make the whole thing work. And the steel that is Jordan Poole kind of has made that a reality.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And look, I think that there was some internal angst about that direction. Exactly. Um, I mean, Steph Curry and, Draymond Green were even on record at the beginning of the season. Uh, Draymond most outspokenly, unsurprisingly, that uh, <laughs> he shared, like, teams have never been able to do this of leaning on championship core players while developing young guys. Like, the precedent of that has been non existent. And so, while Steph and Draymond were going to buy in and be the company guys, they were honest that. Uh, I think they had a wait-and-see approach on whether this would work out or not. But to the Warriors' credit, I think it's two things. One, no doubt, everything starts with Steph Curry and then the second extension of the trio collectively with Steph Clay and Draymond. But I think the Warriors uh, had the awareness that going star hunting doesn't always work. Sometimes it creates more complications than solves problems number one. And then number two, for, you know, much as the Warriors dynasty predicated on having all-stars, I think it also predicated on having the right culture and the right attitude toward, you know, role players and player development. Uh, You know, they were a team that really wanted to be able to find good guys that they could plug and play and empower guys that made them feel, comfortable with showing what they can do as opposed to being obsessed with what those role players can't do and so uh, I I think that's what the Warriors did you know they try to draft well sometimes they've missed i.e. Jacob Evans or Jordan Bell but they've also hit on uh, you know guys like Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga and I think with Steve Kerr he leaned in on what makes him a great coach. Uh, with managing personalities, relating to the role players, always having a growth mindset, but he also never wanted to be comfortable. I mean, as much as the Warriors shuffling their coaching staff had to do with just, uh, you know, assistant coaches getting new opportunities, um, you know, they use that opportunity to try to bring in new voices, a love a Kenny Atkinson from Brooklyn, so that they're always having fresh ideas. So I think that those are the kind of the underrated, Themes that connect the Warriors' past to its present. It's not just about Steph, Clay, and Draymond, even though that's the primary component. But it's it's the strength in numbers and you know the cultural organization from top to bottom that's made the Warriors such a great franchise uh, this past decade.
1: It's funny as part of it as you were describing that reminded me of the Miami Heat with their ability to kind of find and develop and, and be who they are, and uh, and how far that's been able to take them. You know, or re- yes, they had to go out and get Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry or they wanted to come there would be a better way of phrasing it. But, you know, Bill, finding the Struces and the Gabe Vincents of the world and, and developing within their own style is a very Miami thing. And they don't go star hunting. Right. Like they're not just the Miami Heat are not going to trade for Kyrie Irving. like it's just, yeah. <laughs> Right. Like if they're if they're bringing in somebody that I think that they might look to this offseason, but it's got to be somebody who fits them. And the Warriors have done that impeccably well. And by the way, I don't want to go off on a weird side tangent, but I think the best run organizations in the NBA right now, and Minnesota might be coming one of these, they bring in a lot of different voices from a lot of different backgrounds. And I don't mean just, it's not just all basketball people, right? It's, it's, it, hey, bring in somebody from a different field to take a, but that's really smart and take a fresh look at everything. I think the idea of having more voices in the room is really gaining traction.
2: Yeah. Look, let's just call a spade a spade and connect the dots. The Lakers don't do that. Right. No, no um, I mean, I,
1: I wasn't, I, I wasn't even thinking of them specifically, but I don't, oh, I don't think there's a more insular organization in the league.
2: Right. And ironically, uh, there's always this gray area when it comes to organizations of like, you, you want more voices and outside opinions, but you also don't want to have too many cooks in the kitchen. The Lakers have somehow thread the needle of being very insular and relying on the familiarity of, you know, former Laker coach or former Laker icon, but it's too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, so, look, I mean, the Lakers are a whole other issue, and, you know, they're only two years removed from the from winning a title. So, I mean, in fairness, they have done things right. But I think when we're talking about the Lakers, I think there is a way to lean in on what makes the Lakers the Lakers of, you know, getting that championship type superstar, but also leaning in on other qualities that can make that organization hum, kind of like what the Warriors are doing, kind of like uh, what the Heat are doing, where no doubt it always always starts with your star player, but how do you build everything else around it? And obviously – you know, I think to the Lakers' credit, they have done a good job of drafting, yes, a young talent. But I don't think they've ha- they've done a good job of developing the guys, making sure they're in a position to succeed, and you know, having synergy in the front office as well as alignment with what they want in a head coach, and giving the right personnel for what that coach is all about. So we'll we'll see where they go. But you know what? It's all about warriors and uh the Celtics, they're the ones in the box.
0: Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S A U C O N Y.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
1: of a
2: detour.
1: Yeah, exactly. Let, let's talk about what I think is maybe the, the hardest question to answer for me in some ways about the series, which is Boston brings an elite defense um, Switchable defense, and and historically, it's been the switchable defenses that give the the Warriors the most trouble. But Boston doesn't switch. They're not trying to hide anybody, right? They're switching because they got, especially with the starters, but even with to a degree with Derek White, who might be a, a weaker, slightly weaker link, but not terrible defensively, and and Grant Williams, they just can switch everything because they can. Like all their yeah. guys can defend. And that makes some it's going to make for an interesting series where, hey, maybe I, if you want to switch off and get, if you want to get Marcus Smart off of Steph Curry, and we're assuming Marcus Smart will start on Steph Curry, it. hey, who are you going to put? Like Al Horford? Really good defender. Tatum? Brown? Like there's not a weak link out there.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, I think it's a different team, obviously, but the whole idea of, Defense kind of reminds me of what the Rockets did in the 2018 yeah. Western Conference Finals. And that threw the Warriors for a loop, even though they had also Kevin Durant on their team. And there, throughout that series, there was this figuring out process of how do you adapt to that. I think the Warriors can adapt because they're very championship tested. But, you know, I think this game, this series is going seven games. And when you add all the big and small things that can determine a series when it's going to be that competitive like literally everything and anything can become a quote-unquote x factor in the series so i think you know uh Celtic switchability their wing versatility as well as their big size presence is huge i mean robert williams the third al horford are amazing rim protectors and when you juxtapose that with the Warriors. They have amazing, uh, they have great wing defenders and Andrew Wiggins, a little bit of Clay Thompson, uh, but they don't have that size. And they philosophically leaned into not going for that size because one, you know, Bob Myers, I talked with him before the Western Conference Finals, and he said, "Hey, before the trade deadline, we, you know, in fairness, didn't know that James Wiseman for sure was going to miss the rest of the season." That's number one. But number two, they didn't feel they didn't feel like there was a be enough of a big man out there that warranted changing their philosophy, which was not necessarily being small, but having versatile defenders like a Draymond Green, like a Kevon Looney, like a Kaminga. And I think so far that identity's worked. Um, you know, whether it's been a big guy like the Denver Nuggets, you know, with Nicole Jokic, he did a lot of damage, but he didn't have much help. Uh, they were able to go small against Memphis. And, you know, when Steven Adams went back in the lineup later on, it threw them for a loop. But, you know, eventually they were able to course correct. But here, the Celtics are a different animal with this. So it will be interesting. I don't think it's the main uh, variable to keep an eye on that will determine the series outcome. But it is an important one. And, again, I think Warriors are winning in seven. It could go either way. And when we're talking about seven-game series – a lot of times the big and small things wind up determining like that game to game outcome. So should be fun one.
1: Yeah. I'm by the way, I just to get it on the record, I am with you that I have the warriors in seven and we'll get to why I think I would not think I'm get to why I'm picking them in a minute. I think what matters in this series, but points are just going to be hard to come by in the series. These are statistically the two best defensive teams in the league this year. Like it's not a coincidence that they're here. But I think that for both teams, this makes limiting your turnovers offensively and then offensively trying to get out in transition so important. Both of these teams, and you kind of forget Boston's a good transition team until you watch a bunch of the Miami game when they were really, when they were getting stops and running in game seven, that's when they were in control, when they were able to get a few easy buckets. And obviously we know about, look the the Warriors getting on one of those runs where they get a few stops in a row and suddenly they're running pin downs really early in the clock and guys are getting free and Steph Curry's relocating and suddenly it's a it's not an eleven oh run, right? Like it's a seventeen oh run within a couple of minutes and suddenly you're buried.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And look, I mean the Warriors, they're Achilles heel, as it was even during the diocese or their turnovers. They play you know, high risk, high reward. And I think for the most part, the reward pays off, but you know, they're prone to having, you know, bad turnover nights and you, do, you can't afford to do that against the Boston Celtics team because their defense is stellar. And when they're out on the open floor, it's go time, but same thing applies to the Warriors. I don't think the Celtics have the same amount of turnover issues that the Warriors do, but you know the, uh, the Warriors are really good, not necessarily with, with getting steals or forcing turnovers, but making stops and making sure yeah. everyone's organized on defense. And obviously that that starts with Draymond Green quarterbacking anything, everything. Not only with his ability to play the four of the five uh, on defense, but also helping everyone else get to their spots. But when you add in the fact that Draymond Green quarterbacks everything, Kevon Looney. Uh, feels a lot more comfortable uh, with being able to guard his guy because he you know Draymond's going to cover for him and vice versa. Part of the reason why Draymond feels comfortable roaming is he feels that Kavan's back there. And same thing with Kaminga. And then with Andrew Wiggins, um, you know, him limiting and really frustrating Luka Doncic, I think speaks volumes of just how amazing a defender he is. He even defended. Um, Luca, I think, better than, you know, Mikkel Bridges in Phoenix, and he was one of the defensive player of the year candidates. Um, and I think the other part about Wiggins' defense and why that's so valuable is that it takes pressure off of Clay Thompson. Like, this yeah. is what Clay Thompson used to do pre-ACL and Achilles uh, injury. And look, I think Clay is showing the right process, and I think that he's checked all the boxes of, of what's reasonably realistic for him to do, but that's mostly been on the offensive end. He's still not the same defensive player that he is. I trust that he will eventually be that, but save that for next season. I think in the finals, it's all about lean on Andrew Wiggins because of his talent, but also it might be too much of an ask for Clay to do that while also hoping that he can still be the old Clay on the offensive end of the floor.
1: By the way, congratulations, Andrew Wiggins, on a, a breakout series. Your reward is Jason Tatum.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, your reward is, is a different player, but a, a, another elite offensive force um, that you're going to have to stop. By the way, I, I, just to backtrack for half a second, though, the margin for error for Boston just gets smaller for me in this series than it was even against the Heat. They can't have those games um, at uh, game six where Tatum had seven turnovers and four in the fourth quarter, and Brown had a few turnovers, and he can get a little sloppy with his handles. They just can't do that this series. You can't let the Warriors get easy transition buckets and get rolling. Especially, by the way, I think in those first two games, you've been to a bunch of games at at, uh, Chase Center. It's not quite oracle in terms of volume. But it's still a pretty, pretty strong home court.
2: Yeah, without a doubt, I think Chase Center has really grown up before our very eyes because there are a lot of times, especially even early in the playoffs, where you know it's a late arriving crowd. You know, part of that has to do with just the nightmare to get across the Bay Bridge and rush hour traffic on a weeknight. But part of it was, you know, even at half after halftime, like the way the suites are structured, it's sectioned off. And clearly those suites are reserved for, you know, the business folks and the networking parties. And, you know, there's very few of them that are back in their seat when the second half starts. Um, But I think as the stakes have gotten more, made adjustments, the Warrior fan, whether it's from the East Bay or any part of Oakland or San Francisco has still tried to, uh, you know, bring the effort and look, told me that nba arenas can't bring in piped in noise like that's not allowed but the warriors game ops themselves the music etc it lends for a very festive atmosphere and so i think that's going to be another i think added factor here in the series the fact that the warriors have home court advantage look i think both teams need a shell are perfectly capable of winning on the road in the finals yeah but the Warriors have four cracks at them and the, and the Celtics only have three of them. And so far, the Warriors have been undefeated at home. And I think that says a lot about, you know, their comfort level at the arena as well as the improved atmosphere.
1: Mark, you can say they don't pump in music or, or let me rephrase that, pump in crowd noise. But like you said, I mean, all you, frankly, all anyone needs to do is attend a Clipper game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you could, the constant, constant, din of music it's such a uh and i think a lot of they're not the only one to do this but the it's uh the one i attend the most that does this where it's they use the music to simulate crowd noise in a lot of ways right like they, they can get crowd noise at points but they can keep it loud in there for the full 48 and um there's probably a little of that now I, you know what and i don't mean this insultingly because i think chase Center is a beautiful new building but there's a model for new arenas that is built on the financial model of what the suites bring you, what the expensive seats bring you, Um, not just for this, but for concerts and hockey and whatever else you're going to put in a, in a, in a a modern building. It's just, it's just the reality of it.
2: Look, um, the Warriors Chase Center, it's privately uh, financed, as you mentioned, they get, and as a result of that, uh, as much as it's nice that the taxpayers didn't have to pay this, uh, now that it's completed, they get in all the revenues, not just from Warrior, home, regular season playoff games, but from all the events. So the fact that Chase Center exists has helped fund the roster in hand right now. And Joe Lakeup, the Warriors majority owner, is paying a lot in luxury taxes. And uh, you don't need to cry poverty for a billionaire, but he's willing to do that because, A, he wants to win, but, B, He knows that this is the cost of doing business. Um, And I think moving forward, there might be some questions of, you know, how sustainable is this with, you know, Jordan Poole being eligible for an extension this summer. And, you know, Andrew Wiggins contract being what it is and Kevon Looney being an unrestricted free agent this summer. But, you know, Joe Lacob's philosophy has always been if this basketball move is a significant factor that will determine our uh, championship fortunes. By all means, let's do it. We'll we'll always save on the margins, and while I know that there's always you know complications of what exactly that dollar will result, I think the simple formula for Warrior fans is if player X is a huge factor in their title fortunes, you better believe it. They'll do what it takes to retain them, and you can partly thank the chase center revenue for bringing that in. So you know maybe yeah. it's not the most electric uh, arena in the NBA, but No, it helps them print money at a very rapid rate.
1: By the way, I think the real test, um, because I think he's a borderline case, you mentioned it, Looney's up for a free uh, contract this year. There are teams from Charlotte through Toronto and New York. There's a bunch of teams looking for a center. Um, It is going to be interesting to see what his market is, and not are the Warriors willing to match it as much as do the Warriors believe James Wiseman is ready to step into that role so they don't have to?
2: Yeah, and look, I mean, James Wiseman, they'll have to decide uh, at the end of October if they exercise his team option for the following season. But as of now, I think you can almost look at next season as an opportunity for all those things to sort itself out. They're committed to Wiseman next season. You know, Bob Myers has told had told me in a recent Q&A that they have optimism that he'll be – healthy and, you know, effective next season. You know, I think with Looney, with his upcoming summer, look, as you know, Kirk free agency is always unpredictable, yes. but and especially with the fact that Kevon Looney has really grown a lot this season with both staying healthy as well as his performances. But look, um, they valued Kevon Looney before they saw seasons of him being healthy and very effective. And I know in previous free agencies, Kevon Looney's philosophy that he shared to me was, He was going to always handicap the Warriors because of, you know, the culture and the championship experience and the fact that they trusted him with drafting him as well as being patient with his development and health. And that as so long as he didn't just get this WTF type offer that you just can't pass up, the Warriors were going to be in the driver's seat. And in fairness, he never got that astronomical offer, but he did get interest. And offers from other teams, but the Warriors always had the advantage because of the things I said. So I think going in, the Warriors would still have an advantage, but as you know, all it takes is one team to really overspend. And when it comes to a role player, when you're getting those kind of offers, it's really hard to turn down, even if you are a player that is, quote unquote, about the right things, because that might just be the only opportunity that role player will ever get of sniffing that size of a contract. So it'll be interesting to see what happens.
1: Exactly. I, I think it's one thing if you're a max or near max guy, it's very different if you're a role player and you get a shot at those kind of deals and you can say all, by the way, I think you can say that he will all, you can say the intangibles lean towards the warriors and, you know, all money things being equal. Everybody says that until Michael Jordan calls. (laughs) <laughs> and then everybody's like, you know, Jordan just called me. And like, it just gets different. So we'll see what happens on that front. But i, I that's getting away from the fact that I still think Looney is going to play a big role on the glass in this series, that that's a place, especially when Robert Williams isn't out there, the offensive board is a place you can do some damage. Um, the, the Warriors would love to stay smaller and, and, you know, maybe be a little more athletic, but at center, but frankly... There ain't, many, there ain't many Bam bios out there, man. Like, you got to go with the guys who, who you can get. And Looney's have been a great fit for them. Look, I think he was really undervalued in his collarbone injury back in the championship in 2019. Like, there was big roles that he just struggled to fill um, because of injury.
2: Yeah. And look, I mean, 2018, yep. there were a lot of times in the West Finals that he was left on the James Harden Island. And look, James Harden was a much better player than he is now during the philly years but uh, this philly campaign but uh looney held his own he didn't back down and while well, i wouldn't say he shut down hard and he really made him work for his points so i think you know by that point he had shown improved his value to the warriors i think you know what then happened was in 2019-20 he only played 20 games because he was struggling with neuropathy issues. But, you know, to Kavon Looney's credit, he walked me through it and connected me with his nutritionist and one of his trainers. He really got ahead on this because what he found out after, you know, consulting with the Warriors medical staff, as well as a dietitian, is that his neuropathy stemmed a lot from having inflammation in his stomach. And basically he wasn't processing foods that were even like considered healthy. And so- uh, they were able to diagnose it, rectify it change his diet and it wasn't just doing the whole oh yeah i'm not having bad food it was very specific things of you know abstaining from things that you would think are healthy like dairy and chicken and just going fish and veggies only uh, and taking you know so many supplements that you know had to pass You know, medical and the uh, medical standards with the Warrior staff. And so that was exhibit, that was example number one. Example number two is last year he started doing a lot of Mai Tai training and yoga training. It's not yoga training, it's like an enhanced form of yoga for athletes. And that really helped his mobility, got his ankle injury under control, but really aligned his hips really well. So that wouldn't ever become an issue ever again. And then from the Mai Thai training, he wasn't able to get the full experience because lucky he, he's not a UFC fighter. He doesn't want to get yeah. injured and hurt, but he was able to build a lot more muscle. Uh, and that says a lot because he was always a strong guy, but he's undersized, but he's been able to compensate that because he's really strong. And he also has a nose to know how to get the boards uh, because he's a very good hustler and, uh, he knows all the, the kind of tactics and tricks of the trade uh, that has made him such an amazing energy guy this season.
1: I, I don't think a lot of fans realize how many players do some form of yoga, uh, whether it's traditional. A lot of hot yoga was, especially a few years ago, it was everybody was doing it, but hot yoga, I mean, DeMarcus Cousins talked my ear off at one point about how great <laughs> hot yoga was for him. Like certain guys really thrive. And now, and now this, you know, the yoga, that kind of, there, there's more players into that kind of stretching and that kind of physicality than, than people realize.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. I think when you're tying this to the Warriors, they can thank a lot of their, of their lucky stars, Andre Iguodala, because not only was he, uh, a valued role player during those championship teams. So whether he was a primary rotation player or this season in particular where you know he just hasn't played a lot of basketball, he shared a lot of those dietary and training tips in mastering all the nuances of how to like yeah. seize the day-to-day minutiae into make into becoming a healthier and more effective player. And you know even with Andre being out, for a lot of the times this season, he's passed those sleeping and training tips to guys like Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga, and also have given them, you know, real talk about what they're doing well and what they're not doing well. Um, but I think, you know, when we're talking about Andre and Looney, the other, I think, interesting wrinkle to keep an eye on is not just like the rest versus rust component of, you know, the Warriors having so much time off and the Celtics are just coming off this seven-game series mm-hmm. – but the impact that's had of Andre Iguodala, Gary Payton the second, and Otto Porter Jr. all practiced. Uh, they're playing to practice again Wednesday. They might be ready to play in the finals. Where you juxtaposed that with the Celtics, so they're, they're dinged up. I mean, yeah. Robert Williams III, um, you know, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum's had a lot of minutes. You know, Al Horford's back, uh, but you know he was just playing a few games after having COVID. Like. These guys aren't 100%. And while I think at some point, like the Warriors will feel the grind of the NBA finals again, I can't help but wonder, at least for game one, how much of that is a factor for all the other things uh, to keep an eye on that could be in play.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I Getting Gary Payton the second back, even if it's for 15 minutes a night, will be huge for the Warriors' rotation and, and their defense. Uh, I got two... Two topics that I, I want to get to you with, or maybe three, depending on how we approach one of them. But we'll start here. I, I think I don't question for a second. Steph Curry is going to have a big series. That Stephen Curry is going to. He just rises up to these moments. Um, that he's going to. <laughs> it's funny to say, but he's going to have a Finals MVP worthy Finals, right? Well, you know. Um, I think by the way, if the Warriors win. There will be pressure on voters <laughs> to uh, to 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 give him one. Um, my question though is, is Jason Tatum ready for that moment? Oh,
2: without doubt. Uh, I mean, Jason Tatum. I hate to get into the rankings here, but like he's been. Yeah, I hate to rank him, but he's yeah. been one of the best players in the playoffs, right? He has been. Like, yeah. Um, and you know, his his game, he's continued to grow leaps and bounds. I remember a few years ago, you know, he was seen as like this lesser version of Kobe Bryant, but like for all the negative qualities of like, you know, uh just shot selection and shooting too much and just being obsessed yeah. with the mid range. Um, I think, you know, one, he's leaned into Kobe because Kobe was really good, even for all those flaws number one, but number two, uh, Jason Tatum has a well-rounded game. And so even if he, you know, can't have those heavy, high shooting volume nights, like it's not just the mid range, which I think he has shown and a lot of the players on the Warriors have shown, there's still a place for that in today's NBA. But, yeah. you know, Jason's an amazing attacker at the basket. Uh, his three-point shot's great. And I think that he's learned, you know, to trust his teammates a lot more and also ha- helps that, he and Jalen Brown are now playing together on a consistent basis. So you know that's not something that Celtics had earlier in the season because Jalen out was was out for a hand, you know, for a good number of games because of different injuries. Um, and so with Jalen there, like Jason's able to lean into what he does best. Um, but no doubt, yeah, it's it's an inevitable narrative with Steph. He's accomplished basically everything he could accomplish in the NBA except getting that Finals MVP. And while I don't think that like he needs that to validate his legacy. His legacy is very fine the way it is with being the best shooter of all time, winning multiple championships, revolutionizing and changing the way the game's played, uh, being the best leader in today's NBA. Um, Yeah, I think it would be nice for him to get the trophy, and I'm sure that he would love to have it. I'm sure it's a small source of motivation, but the bigger thing is this. He wants another championship, and I think if it was such a big deal for Steph, you would have, like, ruffled feathers one way or the other that andre got it as opposed instead of him in 2015 and kevin durant got it uh in 2017 18 uh, ahead of him and look like peel peek behind the curtain there's some warrior fans that don't like me because i was one of the voters that voted for kevin Durant to get finals mvp <laughs> and nothing to do with steph like steph was fine it was just that i felt Kevin Durant played out of his mind, particularly in that Game Three performance. That like I just felt like he deserved it, but it's nothing against Steph. And uh, I didn't I, w- I didn't have a vote the other the the other years. Uh, so while I would argue that I think that Steph should have gotten in twenty fifteen, like Andre played a hell of a series too. Like he, yeah. I don't want to say shut down LeBron James because LeBron played out of his mind and also got Finals MVP consideration, but he made it really tough on him, and you know Andre deserves kudos for that.
1: You are absolutely right about Durant, by the way. Uh, just, just for the record, I, he—I did not have a vote on either of those, but to me, it's—it's it's not even a question. Kevin Durant was the Finals MVP both of those years. It, it wasn't—I I, I just don't think it was up for debate. Um, and and Jason Tatum, what worries me, and this comes back to why I'm picking the Warriors in seven, it's. He's got to do it a little more consistently. You can't have the 10-point Game 3. You can't have the 2-point fourth quarter in Game 6, right? Like, now at this stage against the Warriors, you got to be there for every moment of it. And, And that's why I'm picking, on paper, in a pure neutral situation with everybody healthy, I might pick Boston, but I'm not as convinced that they have that championship gear, that championship medal, that poise, that whatever you want to call it, that the Warriors just have in spades.
2: Yeah. And look, I don't think the Celtics are going to be overwhelmed with the moment and no. they're, you know, they're not that like young team. Oh, we don't have finals experience. They have a lot of experience. Some of it being failure. Right. Uh, but uh, when you compare it to the Warriors, I mean, they just have so much collective memory and, yeah. Tactics that they can rely on, and then I think the other thing is the Warriors have more depth. And so, while for sure Jason Tatum needs to be more consistent, he also doesn't have the same luxury that the Warriors have. Like technically, you know, maybe there's a game that's it's not Steph's night or it's Clay's or it's not Clay's night. But you know what? They have an Andrew Wiggins. They have a Jordan Pool that can give them complementary scoring. Where where you compare that with the Celtics? Yes, they have Jalen Brown. Yes, they have Marcus Smart. But there's no other role player that I can think of that I can assume they will get X amount of points per game. Where when you compare that to the Warriors, um, I I can lean on the fact that I know what I'm going to get from Andrew Wiggins uh, on, on offense as well as on defense. But from scoring, I know you know Jordan Poole's had some growing pains and some. Uh, some of his own inconsistent performances for the playoffs, but he can have one of those nights where he pops off. And a lot of times when he's had those struggling nights, part of it's been, you know, he's a young guy, but it's been fine because the other stars have compensated, but he's had big nights when the other stars have had off nights. So the Warriors have that luxury they can fall back on where some of their star players have a little bit of more of a margin for a cushion to rely on their complimentary guys.
1: Yeah. You're, you're going to come to regret those words when, when we're talking in a couple of weeks about the Peyton Pritchard game. Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's,
2: he's,
1: I mean he's, he's good. for No, me. no, he's for gonna. Me.
2: I don't know how many points he's going to make per game.
1: No, not that many. I I, I don't know. Him. He's good. He's one of those players who like, I like Peyton Pritchard. He is a good player. He is a quality NBA rotation, man. I don't know how many minutes he gets in the finals. They're, they're just you. At some point, you reach a level where there's a limited number of guys you can play, man. Which brings me to the other thing that I think is going to be interesting in this series, and I, I think could be the X factor in some ways. It's the Jordan Poole minutes. He is such an offensive spark. And like you mentioned, he gives them an offensive edge. On the Knights, Curry might be off. Or Thompsons, they need secondary scoring, and Thompson's not getting it going. And whatever... Jordan Poole is the other guy besides Steph Curry who just creates his own shot out there. But, yeah, but if I'm the Celtics, the second he steps on the floor, I am targeting him every time down. I am going to put him in every pick and roll. He is their weakest link defensively. And it's going to be interesting to see how many minutes they can keep him out there.
2: Yeah. And look, the the things that you outline partly explain, why the Warriors haven't really gone that small lineup that like made so many waves to open the playoffs against the Denver Nuggets, uh, where it seemed like, hey, like this is the new death lineup, and let's find nicknames for them. They were amazing offensively, but defensively, they they just didn't have the right personnel. And so, I think that because it's a de- it's going to be a defensive oriented matchup against the Finals, the Warriors are going to lean on the lineups that give them the best look offensively or defensively. I mean. Uh, Because that's very important, and at some point, because of how loaded the Warriors are, they can generate offense somehow, some way. Whether it's Steph Clay uh, hitting shots, Draymond being a playmaker, Steph being a playmaker, Jordan Poole, but you don't want to have defensive liabilities. So Jordan Poole is going to be an important guy, but you know, I don't think I think that his minutes are going to be staggered for when you know Steph and Clay are out. The rotation and so you know no doubt clay, uh, clay is going to play with pool stuff's going to play with pool but i don't think that you're going to see that combination of all those three guys on the same on the floor at the same time because of the issues you outlined yeah
1: all right like i said i i'm picking the warriors in seven i and i think it just comes down to i trust them more in the biggest moments i trust curry is going to be able to make the plays um and make the shots. And I'm not as convinced that the Celtics will be able to, to match that, that they, they, they showed moments against Miami of, of not being able to handle, not, I don't want to say not handle those moments, but not rise up. You you have to find another gear that I know the Warriors have. And I, I don't know that the Celtics have, maybe they prove me wrong. Uh, Cause I like you and I are on the same page here. This is close. The seven game series, little things are going to decide it. What made you lean into the Warriors? Um,
2: Question: I lean to the Warriors a lot because a lot of things you outlined. They have championship equity experience, uh, you know, with you know their trio of guys with Steph, Clay, and Draymond. They have you know a lot of depth, and they have home court advantage. So I think those are the three main things. Yeah. Um, But look, what's fascinating about these kind of finals matchups where we think it's going to go seven games like there's always the big factors and those are always going to be the big things at the end of the day. You know, how well do the stars perform? How well is there a defender that can limit X star? Um, but those intangibles have a way of tilting something because all those big things sometimes cancel each other out at certain moments of a game. And so that creates the importance of an intangible, an unexpected role player, a key shot, a loose ball. That's what the NBA final is all about. So it'll be fun.
1: It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun series. Uh, I look forward to seeing you out there, Mark. And, uh, um, and, and uh, we will, uh, we'll bend an elbow and, and uh, have a. I, I I think you're more of a wine guy than a beer guy, but we'll figure something out.
2: I'm a chameleon, so I go wherever the setting's most appropriate.
1: All right. Well, we'll figure something out. I'll look forward to seeing you, Mark. Thank you for jumping on and doing this. And again, you can catch Mark's stuff at uh, NBA.com. And on Twitter, where where are you? Mark G underscore Medina. All right. Thanks again for doing this, Mark. I'll see you in a couple days.
2: All right. Thanks so much, man.
1: All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back soon with a lot more NBA Finals talk on the PBT Pro Basketball Talk podcast at NBC Sports.